One, two, three. <laughs> nice delay there. I was taking a drink. I didn't know you were going to start. <laughs> well, do it again then. All right, go okay. ahead, Dave. All right, one, two. two. <laughs> Fucking A. It gets, it's, listen, assholes, it's going to go me, Colin, and then Marcus. No, Hart. it's DMC. Come on now. It's Dave, <laughs> Marcus, right, Colin. Fine. Wait, I'm sorry. Can someone pull out the uh, procedure manual? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Real DMC Podcast. DMC stands for Dave, Marks, and Colin. We're all here today. I'd just like to start by saying, <laughs> happy birthday, America. <laughs> because if we plan this out right, this will be released on July 4th, and we can all enjoy our last few years of democracy. And if we fail to get it edited in time, well, then enjoy the podcast on whatever day this is. Perhaps it's fate that today is the 4th of July, and you will once again be fighting for our freedom. Not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution, but from annihilation. It's one of the all-time great movie speeches. It honestly is. It's fun. It's pretty good. It's cheesy fun. So in honor of the 4th of July, we're here to discuss one of the all-time great cheeseball sci-fi spectaculars directed by Roland Emmerich, Independence Day. Police and the fire departments are asking... It is morning. You wake up. You greet your loved ones. You grab the morning paper. And although it seems like any ordinary day, it isn't. For one extraordinary reason. historic and unprecedented event has occurred. The question of whether or not we are alone in the universe has been answered. This is so cool. More ships have just arrived over India, England, and Germany. I really don't think they flew 90 billion light years to come down here and start a fight. We've got to stop them! They're going to kill us all! They're using our own satellites against us. The clock is ticking. That's what I call a close encounter. Today we celebrate our Independence Day. <laughs> You're pretty fired up, Marcus. Uh, the movie's pretty bad, <laughs> but <laughs> let's get into it. All right, so just by way of general introductions, the movie does maintain a 7.0 on the IMDb, uh, which is probably maybe a little generous. I think there's probably a little bit of nostalgia tied up in that number. Uh, for the year 1996, it did okay at the box office, in the U.S. box office, and that it came in as, oh, number one for the entire year, and at $306 million on its way to making $817 million worldwide. It also broke the record for the fastest to $100 million and $200 million at the box office. Both were previously held by Jurassic Park. So this thing definitely definitely took off and made a shit ton of money. And it was made, made for $75 million. Just think about that for a sec, because that, that's pretty amazing. Jurassic Park came out three years before that. And it was the highest grossing film ever. Three years later, here comes Independence Day. And then four years later, Titanic blows them all away. Pretty amazing for the 90s. I think critically, this movie is probably somewhere in the middle. The Rotten Tomatoes score was, I think it was 67%. Ebert gave it 2.5 stars. In his review, I thought it was kind of funny. He started asking some questions. When the aliens attack, there are shots of the White House and the Empire State Building getting blowed up real good. But if these creatures can field a spaceship a fourth the size of the moon, why do they bother engaging in aerial dogfights with the U.S. Air Force? <laughs> and why don't they blow up everything at once? Or why don't they knock out the internet with a neutron bomb instead of simply causing snow and static across TV screens? 
But he did at the end of his review say, well, he's like, this is one of those big, dumb, fun summer movies and he could live with it. Yeah, there ends up being a whole lot of questions that are not answered. How come they don't see this spaceship approaching until it's like at the moon? The amateur astronomers would have uh, detected that. Completely agree. I totally agree. And then even when it's in the atmosphere, everyone's like, there's something going on. Like Will Smith walks out of his house and there's a spaceship <laughs> taking up the entire sky. But he's like, oh, let me go get the newspaper and let me look at my neighbors doing something weird. And then I'll eventually look up and notice, come on. Pretty oblivious, but I have to say that that's a cool scene. It's a cool scene, but just not realistic. They didn't wake up when the spaceship was traveling over the house, shaking it. So maybe they had a late night. I think you're going to sense the presence of a ship <laughs> that size in the air somehow. Well, just a couple other quick notes. So this did actually win the Grammy Award for its score. One of the few times the purely orchestral score won the Grammy and was not even nominated for the Academy Award. However, it also did win an Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. As of now, I think still holds the record for a film creating the most miniatures. They actually built a ton of miniatures, which they used for the explosions and everything else. To great effect, by the way. I think that the miniature work and the explosions and all this are pretty cool. I don't know who else was nominated, but I'm going to say they deserve to win. I think they deserve to win, too. I want to talk about the special effects for a sec. My take on this movie is that this is a total B movie with A-level special effects. That's what it is. And somehow, because of the special effects, it became this juggernaut. Right. But if you think about it, the special effects themselves were really not that great. They weren't groundbreaking or anything. And some of the critics felt the same way. Like David Anson from Newsweek said that they were no better than Star Wars, which was 20 years earlier. Some of them were fairly cheesy and lacked the quality of the effects that are in films from James Cameron and Steven Spielberg. And I have to agree with them, but what it has going for it is scale. Oh my God, I was going to use one word for you. I was going to say scale. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly why this movie works. Yeah, because no one has ever perched a 15 mile wide alien spacecraft over American cities. Yeah. And no one had ever seen this before. And that is why this was a phenomenon. The scenes involving the combat, current world technology going up against the crazy aliens, and you have the moments like where they fire the missile and you're waiting to see if it's going to hit the ship and what's going to happen. Yeah, there are some really interesting moments. And I do think that the scale, and in particular the visual effects of when the ships are first arriving, it's really effective. I think a lot of people probably remember seeing this on the big screen and having kind of a wow moment when they watched it. You know, if I was 12 when I saw this movie, I would have absolutely loved it. You were 25, you didn't like it? I recall not particularly liking this movie very much. And I previously had a bit of a negative opinion about this movie just because I thought it was so incredibly stupid. Actually enjoyed it more than I expected upon rewatch. So I had a good time watching it. It is stupid. I mean, it's got stereotypical characters. It's not particularly well written. The dialogue is clunky, but it's just fun. It's it's a total sci-fi epic guilty pleasure. Yeah, I remember liking it when it came out. It's definitely a summer movie. It's definitely a movie that you go to the theater, enjoy it. You're not really criticizing it. You're not really thinking too deeply about it. It's one that you can cheer for. And I think it's effective. I think it's a very good theater viewing experience. And I enjoyed it this time rewatching it. It's fun. It's not a great movie. <laughs> it's definitely not a great movie, but it was upon seeing it. Because I remember going in, you know, there was a ton of marketing. Yeah. They started right around the Super Bowl. Can we talk about that yeah, for a yeah, second? Because yeah, yeah. this movie does maintain probably one of the greatest trailers ever for a movie, particularly a teaser trailer. That they paid $1.3 million, yeah. I believe, to have the Super Bowl spot for the commercial. Mm-hmm. And I think the commercial, if I recall, it might have only been 
the spaceship hovering over the White House, and then you see the White House get blown up, and you, there's a helicopter that's in front of it that gets blown up too. And I remember thinking that, what the hell is this? This is crazy. Yeah. It was a very effective start to a marketing campaign. I guess they sunk $25 million into the marketing campaign. It's a great effect. There was a ton of hype leading up to this movie that I recall. And it was really bold. You didn't see an alien just outright blowing up the whole White House. It didn't happen before. Invasions and things like that have never been to this scale and this magnitude of, okay, we're just going to wipe out humanity. And it's happened a ton since San Andreas and, and Volcano and all this other like ridiculous stuff that happens. So that's really what this movie is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just dust off the 70s disaster film, make the antagonist aliens. And there you go. Yeah. There, there's your modern disaster movie. And that's what this is. It's about watching things get blown up real good. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. That's what this movie is. Blowed up. <laughs> what this had going for it, too, was saw the all of the ads. And I was thinking, I think this is not going to be very good. But you know what? I'm going to go see it anyway. I had a great time because you know what? It's a full-scale alien invasion with giant spaceships. I'm all in. Right. You hadn't seen that before. Since then, there's been a bunch of movies since then. War of the Worlds, which is not original IP, Battle Los Angeles, and even like the Avengers, even that's a, a full-scale alien invasion, and right. there's like Battleship and Edge of Tomorrow. This movie did it first, and it really did it to great effect. Yeah. It did it to great effect specifically because of the scale of those ships. That's what it'll go back to every single time. All the, the alien stories that we'd seen before, it was a single alien ship or it was hidden. The aliens were among us, but not outright. This just was like, hey, guess what? We're a huge alien force. We got gigantic ships and we're going to take over your world and annihilate you. We're here and we're going to fuck you up. Yeah. <laughs> When was the last time you guys actually watched this movie? 1996. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't think this has been one that we've watched a bunch of times. It's definitely like theater going experience, not a at home watching experience. Colin, how about you? I've seen it many, many times. Probably the last time was maybe 10 years ago. There's many scenes I didn't even remember at all. Because you mentioned there was a extended version. Yeah. So you, you watched the extended version? I did. Colin? <laughs> I, I did was that an option on hbo max it must have been was that it was that... yeah there was an option it was okay. actually presented as a special feature how much longer two hours and 33 minutes so like another 10 it's minutes it's about nine minutes longer okay. yeah <laughs> they're saying it was another it was a two hours and 33 minutes longer <laughs> oh god super deep into some subplots i was amazed about how long the movie was this movie doesn't get made like this today it took 45 minutes before anything happened. Will Smith doesn't come on screen for a half hour. I think the first attack is maybe right around the 50 minute mark, I think. There is so much setup. But that's good. I, I I'm like judging it good or bad. I think they could have cut out probably 20 minutes of this setup. This movie could have been 20, 25 minutes shorter and better. All they had to do was cut out Russell's family. They're completely lame. It's a really awful storyline. They add nothing Miguel is a total nag. Troy's a whiny little bitch. And Alicia, who's like 14 years old, is just trying to get her V-card punched. <laughs> they could have cut the kids and just had him monologue to a picture of his family. And it would have had the same level of emotional impact. You could have picked any side story. Yeah, but this one, it just dragged. In the extended cut, I think most of the extended scenes deal with russell's family so oh wow there you go and the movie featured it too much so i can't imagine tacking on more for the extended version C they could have cut out the first lady the first lady was she was practically not even in it we're going to talk about the first lady because i have some questions about her medical treatment <laughs> oh yeah me too i know <laughs> have you ever heard of surgery yeah yeah okay let's let's not get to it too fast okay the harvey firestein like he was great too maybe let's move on to the cast oh i'm not sure he was great i gotta be honest 
But he easily could have been cut out also. He didn't yes. add anything to this story. I enjoyed right. his presence. Yeah. He was funny. He was a nice little like piece to it. But there's no reason to have him in there at all. Well, you know, we're, we're, we seem to be talking about a lot of the actors in the film. So maybe we should go through the cast really quick. What do you guys think about that? Let's do it. Hey, I think that's a great idea. So we can start with Will Smith. This is actually the movie that broke Will Smith wide. I think before this, maybe he had made, was it Six Degrees of Separation and then The Fresh Prince. Will Smith is very charismatic and I, he's fun to watch. But all of the wackiness, you know, the quotes, oh, you shooting green stuff at me? It's a little much, but it's okay. He's fine. Do you think of it as a Will Smith movie? No, no, no. No, no, no definitely not. Yeah. This is a total ensemble film. This is cast is mostly of B-list actors who just kind of lucked into being in this huge film. Nobody expected this, I don't think. There are no A-list stars in this movie. I mean, essentially the stars are Will Smith, who hadn't even broke out to be Will Smith, you yeah. know, in quotes, Jeff Goldblum and Bill Pullman. These guys don't carry movies. And then everyone else, literally like a B-lister or a C-lister. Jeff Goldblum's a pretty solid actor. Before this movie... He did he Jurassic was, Park. He was in Jurassic huge. Park. He did The Fly. That was a long time ago. He was in uh, 10 Speed and Brown Shoe. That's true. <laughs> 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 and then after the, he was in a bunch of uh, the Jurassic Park sequels, he wasn't really doing anything major. He's not leading role material, <laughs> but he's a top movie star, though. Yeah. He's incredibly now, watchable. Yeah. yeah. I think Will Smith is the star of this film, along with Bill Pullman. And Jeff Goldblum is kind of there, too. There are no A-listers yeah. in this. At least at that point, Will Smith was not an A-lister. Bill Pullman, he had been in, what, While You Were Sleeping the year before. Great movie, but it's a romantic comedy. The Last Seduction, he was a co-star in that. His biggest role prior to that? Lone Star in Spaceballs. Not so fast, Lone Star. Helmet. So, at last, we meet for the first time for the last time. That was in 1987. <laughs> that was a fantastic role. That's a great performance. It was a great performance. <laughs> I, I'm not trying to be negative here because I think that, yeah. that a lot of these actors really do give good performances, especially Bill Pullman, Will Smith. He's being Will Smith. Right. That's what you get in this movie. He is the furthest thing from a professional marine corps fighter pilot in terms of his demeanor are there any professionals <laughs> no but we get will smith and he makes this a fun movie yeah tons of charisma really fun to watch and then after this movie of course then he goes on and now he's a superstar yeah. he does men in black enemy of the state he's got hit albums but this did propel him to be a superstar by the way matthew broderick was actually offered the jeff goldblum role before jeff goldblum goldblum's better oh for sure i can't see broderick in this role Roderick would have to do the neurotic thing, and that probably wouldn't work. He would be colliding with Jed Hirsch in that regard. <laughs> yeah. Then you get Broderick in Godzilla, which is Roland Emmerich's next film, and that was a total disaster. I don't think uh, Matthew Broderick in huge sci-fi films really works. did really like Goldblum's performance, though. The air sickness and him going up into the uh, the plane. I, he's, he does Goldblum. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I just love watching his hands on screen. Yeah. I could watch Jeff Goldblum move his hands. It's just funny. Yeah. I enjoy it. Okay, I don't know how much range he has anymore. He's <laughs> basically doing himself. But now he's doing apartments.com commercials. So. <laughs> Look, there's something that is very fun about Goldblum. Him explaining something is just gold. The director, uh, Roland Emmerich, you know what you did in Jurassic Park? Just bring it again. <laughs> no, exactly. That's, That's the exactly character you're playing. <laughs> just, you're, you're not going to be all in black. 
So for Judd Hirsch, you, you weren't too pleased with the Judd Hirsch role? No. <laughs> just you know, kind of neurotic and kind of goofy? No, because I feel like, and I always felt this way, that he just went straight cartoony New York Jew. And, and I just felt like, why? He was going over the top. Yeah. He could have just been Judd Hirsch. He's from New York. He could have just played it a little straighter and it wouldn't have been so distracting. But I felt it was very distracting. Uh, they originally wanted Bob Martin Brooks. Landau. Bob Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, Martin Landau would have been that would have been interesting. Uh, Martin Landau would have been great. Judd Hirsch, if he had just toned it down, I think it would have been better. He just went a couple degrees too far. I would agree. But I think that's what they were going for in the movie. That's what makes it a goofy, fun action movie, right? Cheesy, guilty pleasure. Right? <laughs> There's a weird vaudevillian shtick that's running through part of this movie. Strangely. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Randy Quaid is in it. And I'm pretty sure that Randy Quaid is simply playing his character from Christmas Vacation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shitter's full. I mean, that is this guy only now he's flying a biplanes. He's just over the top, clowny. I think that they just decided that certain characters were going to be the comic relief, like Harvey Firestein. He's like the stereotypically over-the-top gay character right. put in there for comic relief. Why? You could have cut him out. I think they do it, though, because it's a pretty serious movie. If you didn't have as much comedy, it's a pretty brutal movie. <laughs> Millions of people are dying, and it, I think it might be too solemn. If you didn't have the, the levity that a lot of these characters are bringing to it, it'd get a little too deep and dark. So I think they do add some fun to it. I've never laughed so much while millions have died. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I sort of feel like there was a missed opportunity to, to make a really amazing science fiction action film and they sort of messed it up. They weren't going for aliens. No, no, no. But it could have been this inspirational movie as well a little more serious and cut out some of the emotional stuff that just didn't work. Like with Russell's family, it, it could have been a lot better. By the way, I barely knew that those kids were Russell's. And I remember this the first time I watched this movie. I'm like, who are those kids in relation to this guy? Yeah. Because he doesn't really seem like a father figure to them. Well, he is a drunk, but... Where else can a drunk crop duster save the world? Yeah. In a touching moment. <laughs> I mean, I almost teared up. <laughs> Adam Baldwin is in this movie, and I'm trying to think about why when I see him, I kind of don't like him. <laughs> he must have played a character in a movie that I didn't care for, like a bad character at some point. What is that movie? There, Tell me. Uh, well, that movie is probably Full Metal Jacket. He played Animal Mother. Animal Mother. Yeah. Huh, I don't know. I'm just glad to see that he's representing the Baldwin brothers really well here. Oh, wait. He's not a Baldwin. He's not a Baldwin. <laughs> no, he's an alternate Baldwin. <laughs> I always thought he was a Baldwin. He was like the fifth Baldwin brother. And then I realized, oh, he's not really Baldwin. He was the secret Baldwin. You had Harry Connick Jr. in here, and a, just one note there. His role was apparently offered to Matthew Perry originally, who turned it down. Harry Connick Jr. was in it? He's the fighter pilot, great buzz with Captain Stephen Hiller in the beginning, and then he dies. Oh, okay. And then he's never mentioned again over the course of the entire movie. <laughs> he was movie. dead meat. <laughs> <I know. laughs> dead meat, right? He was dead meat Thompson, yeah. <laughs> Do you know why he died? It's because he's not a very good fighter pilot. He's like, I can't breathe. He takes off his oxygen mask. <laughs> Dummy, do you know what the oxygen mask is for? It's so that you can breathe. There's some bad flying in this, honestly. We'll talk about that. That initial scene with the fighter pilots in the briefing room, it just seemed like a really bad take on Top Gun. I don't know. The whole thing just seemed way off. Yes. <laughs> Colin, I assume there's one more person you probably want to point out. Well, first of all, I'd like to call out Margaret Collin, who plays Constance Spano. She's great. I'm a big fan. I just want to work. I'm sorry. It's just... <laughs> you just want to work with her? <laughs> I just want to work with her. Has she done anything of note this century? She works a lot, but I just haven't seen her really in a movie in the last 20 years. And I've always liked her. Now, there's also James Rebhorn, who is just 
I think he's when you're looking for someone to play a sniveling little weasel, <laughs> a weasel, you, you go to James Rebhorn. I automatically think of the end of Scent of a Woman. Yeah, it's hard to get past the association. Yeah, and you are a liar. <laughs> Do you want to talk about Mary McDonald? Her role in this movie is really nothing it's pointless <laughs> it's, yeah she has a very almost a very bizarre arc even for what they ask her to do honestly it's, it's, you get her to the hospital so, anybody want to try anything nah she's gonna <laughs> die she's got internal bleeding there's nothing we can do cut her open and give it a shot stitch it up where do you think we are this is top grade military installation how would we know how to do surgery here <laughs> it just i don't know it's just ridiculous if you want to see her crush a character if you haven't watched the new Battlestar Galactica or the Battlestar Galactica remake. She plays the president. Oh yeah. And she's awesome in that role. Yeah. She's really, really good. Yeah. She, this was a nice performance. I, I totally blocked. Totally blacked out. <laughs> I totally blacked out. <laughs> I totally buy her. She's not really given a lot to do no. um, except for dying. And well, she nailed that. <laughs> good job, Mary McDonald. Colin, I know you got one more, dude. I do. Yes. Okay. Here it comes. Vivica Fox says Jasmine. Uh, <laughs> She's solid. She's got good chemistry with uh, Will Smith. Good performance there. Yes, the last one that you're talking about is Brent Spinner. Spinner? Spiner? You would know, dude. You're the big Star Trek That's guy. That's the thing. I don't know. I've always said Spiner. Maybe it's Spinner. Who Wouldn't knows? Spinner be two ends? He has one. I don't, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I called J.K. Simmons J.K. Simons for like 10 years. I don't know. Uh <laughs> okay man you'll, you'll get through this <laughs> all right yeah i didn't really like his role at all he was a little too over the top he's one of the worst characters in the film yeah how can this guy be the lead scientist and just be so dumb yeah i don't really get it i understand having personality quirks and crazy looking gray hair but he's an idiot yeah and i'm a huge brent spinner fan i'm i myself am a fan of brent spiner okay i'm a huge brent spiner <laughs> fan he even said to hello to me at spago when i saw him and i could only like stare with my jaw on the floor <laughs> That's how big a fan of his I am. I would have loved if he had just been able to play it straight like Commander Data. You wanted him to play it straight like Harvey Firestein? (laughs) (laughs) They could cut him and Harvey Firestein out of this movie and then take Russell's kids out and shoot them. And this would be a much better film. There's a lot of those storylines that just don't work. They don't even add to the characters overall. So be it. Before we jump into it, how about Roland Emmerich as a director? What are your thoughts? I think he's got something against the White House because he's like <laughs> blowing it up a couple different times in different movies. He did Stargate before this, like two years before. I liked that movie. That was a good movie. But then the next one, Godzilla, was, I thought, just awful. Did you like that movie? Oh, no. Godzilla is terrible. Yeah. And it's, it's terrible from a, like even the Roland Emmerich universes that he creates. Dumb movie. After this movie, he made a run of pretty big disaster movies. Yep. The Day After Tomorrow has the big wave sequence. It's pretty cool. I don't know if you guys watched 2012. You know, the world was ending again. Another guilty pleasure. He's a sort of a master of the disaster films. He also did White House Down, which was a lot of fun. The, the one that I, I was just like really surprised was a recent film, Midway. thought that was really surprisingly quite good. That's kind of funny because I thought I might be alone on this one, but I actually thought Midway was really good. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. The scenes of them dive bombing the carriers in that movie, it's actually pretty cool. The man knows how to do big scale action. You got to give him that. His next movie, I'm just all in on. It's called Moonfall. Here's the synopsis. A mysterious force knocks the moon from its orbit around Earth and sends it hurtling on a collision course with life as we know it. With mere weeks before impact, and against all odds, 
a ragtag team. Gotta love a ragtag team, right? Ragtag teams are just amazing. Are they deep ocean drillers? We're gonna have to drill. Are you suggesting that we blow this thing up from the inside? That's exactly what I'm saying. How? We drill. We bring in the world's best deep core driller. A ragtag team launches an impossible last-ditch mission into space, leaving behind everyone they love and risking everything to land on the lunar surface and save our planet from annihilation. I'm in. I'm in. That'll be fun. And what is our plan exactly? (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious. I cannot wait to see the moon hurtling towards the Earth. Wouldn't that only take like five to ten minutes if it was hurtling towards the Earth? If it was hurtling, yeah. Well, I don't know. We're talking about like relative speed. Hey, we've had some guys that were working on moon thrusters, a special project. (laughs) Oh, yeah, let's get those up there. (laughs) (laughs) You put them on the wrong side. Nuclear moon thrusters. That sounds like Roland Emmerich to me. All right. Well, you guys ready to just jump into this thing? Eagle 13, Fox 2. There's a couple things from the uh, extended version that I'd like to, to throw out there. Considering there is so much extra in this movie that wasn't cut, I can't imagine what the, <laughs> the extended version had. Do they show Paris getting attacked or like other international cities getting attacked in the version you saw? No, no. You get more signal talk between David and Marty. A lot more of Russell and his lame kids. Do we get anything about Marty's mom making it to Atlanta or not? Or <laughs> No. There is one scene where um, David and his father are driving to D.C. So David looks up Connie's phone number on his laptop and with this special app that he's got. And you actually see the lookup. This is why I think they cut it was because you can clearly see when he finds Connie's name, her home address in the phone book lookup is 123 Here She Is Avenue. (laughs) (laughs) Some production assistant got fired after that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty stupid. A completely new scene where Dr. Oaken shows David the inside of the spaceship and explains a lot of of the devices to him rather poorly because he's a terrible scientist. (laughs) It's basically more Dr. Oaken seems like a real dummy material. And then everything else is Russell and his stupid kids. I am not sorry. I did not watch the extended version. Yeah. there's. um, So did you know that Russell's middle kid, Troy, he's sick, he's got a disease and he needs to take medicine they did show that he was sick a couple times and it like didn't tie into anything at all yeah well no that's because um he's a he's a total little shit um he uh (laughs) i i formed no relationship with that character as i was watching this movie (laughs) shall we get into what did make it into the movie yeah oh sorry there's also some more about (laughs) alicia his daughter trying to get laid they showed it in the very beginning but then there's another kid and I think they totally cut that, all of those scenes out. But she basically meets Brian Krakow from My So-Called Life at the RV Park. And she totally wants to fuck him. And Russell shuts it down. She doesn't want to die a virgin. And Brian Krakow, because he's Brian Krakow, says they can both die virgins. At least they'll be together. <laughs> I mean, come on, Brian. Just like, fucking grow a pair for once in your life. <laughs> How old are these kids in this movie? 14. 14. Like 14. Do you even know who like Brian Krakow is? No. No. He's a character from My So-Called Life. He's not even the actor. That That's basically it. So 25 minutes. You're here to advocate for seeing... The theatrical version and not the extended version. You're posting a warning is what you're doing. I'm posting a warning. Yes. Okay. There you go. Yes. All right. Well, the movie itself is still two hours and 26 minutes long or something like that. So shall we jump into it? Let's do it. The movie starts with a very in-your-face credit sequence, so I do love that. You know, Independence Day and July 2nd, and I don't know if you guys recall, but the score beat when when the credits show up is pretty funny. It's very loud. (laughs) 
Seti discovers a sound coming from space. It does feature the R.E.M. song. It's the end of the world as we know it. Yeah. A little on the nose there, but yeah. whatever. That, that, that was fun. It's a nice touch. It's foreshadowing. You're like, ha, 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 a little funny. It's good. And then I like that it cuts to the Pentagon and it says Pentagon Space Command. It's now Space Force. I know we have Space Force now, but is there? I don't think it's the Pentagon Space Command, but the, the Air Force had one. Now they've got their own uniforms. <laughs> Ooh. They're just doing quick beats to introduce you to the different characters. So they have Randy Quaid. So he's Russell Case. He's a drunk crop duster who believes he was captured by aliens at one point or abducted by aliens. You see him in a diner and he's a drunk and he cropped us the wrong field. They, they spend a lot of time setting up his character, but then they don't really take it anywhere. <laughs> he saves the world. Come on. <laughs> okay. He saves the world at the end. So I guess they do take it somewhere, but yeah. <laughs> they don't really take it anywhere. <laughs> I don't know. It's, uh, he grows. He like he goes he from sobers being up. A, 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 a drunk... <laughs> No, nothing. Can't even take care of his family to save the world. To sobering up and saving the world, I don't know, he doesn't a pretty have big a arc. character arc. <laughs> and then he he gains back the respect of his stupid kids. <laughs> That's a fucking character arc. All right, I stand corrected. I don't love him as a character in this movie. I agree. I would have to say Russell Case is the actual lead of the movie. <laughs> Especially the way that he shows up at the very end, which we'll talk about. I just, come on. It's a little it's a little over-the-top goofy, even for the goofy universe that we're existing in. It's Randy Quaid. I do like when they introduce the president. So he's talking to his wife, who is out giving a lecture, I think, in Los Angeles. And the president says, I have a confession to make. I'm sleeping next to a beautiful young brunette. So he makes a sex joke about his daughter. <laughs> that made me slightly uncomfortable. Oh, come on, man. I thought it was fairly clever. He's flirting with his wife. This is where they start the exposition that Bill Pullman as President Thomas J. Whitmore was a fighter pilot. Are the salad days over for President Whitmore? More time. Leadership as a pilot in the Gulf War is completely different from leadership in politics. That's the problem. They elected a warrior and they got a wimp. That's the advantage of being a fighter pilot. In the Gulf War, we knew what we had to do. This guy's a fighter pilot. This guy's a fighter pilot. This guy's a fighter pilot. So when he jumps in a, a jet at the end of the movie, you're like, oh, okay, I guess he's a fighter pilot. Because <laughs> they've told me that 17 it's times. because America elected a warrior, but they got a wimp. I just don't understand that. He seems like very charismatic. He's young and he's handsome. And like, why would they think he's a wimp? Was he based on Bush? Bush Sr.? Wasn't Bush a fighter pilot in World War II? Yeah, he was. Yeah. I don't think they're actually basing it on. If you're talking about being a wimp, then yeah, because they called Bush a wimp. Yeah. It's just a set up that he's not universally loved at this point. He's having some uh, trouble in the polls. Yeah, you do see the mothership come in, and that's kind of a cool moment because you see the shadow fall on the moon. So that, that I think is done pretty well. The other thing that you see that's kind of funny is you see a satellite that's cruising along in outer space and it ends up hitting this. There's a nice big fiery explosion. I know. We'll just move past the fact that there's no oxygen in space, but I do like that it's a fiery explosion. I, yeah, I know. It's just ridiculous the size of that ship you're going to see it from the ground it's going to be small but you're going to actually it's going to be visible to the naked eye <laughs> you would see this thing coming we would have known there's so many amateur astronomers up there who, who would have been like what the fuck is that yeah that's the biggest hole in this whole movie it is you forget about it after a bit but the writing just so loose with that it's just terrible if the guys from armageddon could have spotted a much smaller <laughs> asteroid coming towards the earth these people 
should have seen this a long time ago. I think Sean Connery and a few other people, was it 1979 Meteor? They, they saw one way out there very early on, so. I don't think I've even seen that. Don't bother. <laughs> people know what's in the sky, especially something, what, 300 kilometers wide or whatever it is? Copernicus saw this coming. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> There are a whole lot of holes with this. So what you do have is you have the mothership in outer space. This is where the sheer size and scale of what's happening is just pretty awesome. Because you see these big 15-mile-long saucers that are undocking from the mothership. And you see them floating their way down towards Earth. Which is pretty cool. The visuals are interesting. And just the sheer size and scale. I'll I'll keep using the word scale as we go through this. Because I think that's what you mentioned earlier. But I think that's what makes the movie. And then as they enter the atmosphere, I do think that it's kind of cool that they have them going through and they're, they're coming through and they're as if they're burning up through the atmosphere when they're entering it. So, so they have this fire and smoke around them and all that. And then eventually the ships themselves come out. They send an AWACS up to try to get more information about it. I don't know what those pilots are thinking because apparently they just fly like straight into the huge fireball that's coming towards them. <laughs> that's some bad flying. Can we mention the irony in the fact that the AWACS is an early warning aircraft detection right. system and that if anyone should have seen what was in front of them. Yeah. It was them. I think they tried explaining that a little bit with the radar and not being able to see it. And it's too big for the radar. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just also maybe we should switch to visual. Well, I don't know. All I see is a gigantic fireball in front fireball. of us. Oh no, I'm sorry. That's just an ant on the uh, <laughs> on the camera. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I for one, one would like to welcome our new overlords. Alien overlords. <laughs> we've just lost the picture, but uh, what we've seen speaks for itself. The Corvair spacecraft has apparently been taken over, conquered, if you will, by a master race of giant space ants. It's difficult to tell from this vantage point whether they will consume the captive Earthmen or merely enslave them. One thing is for certain, there is no stopping them. The ants will soon be here. And I, for one, welcome our new insect overlords. I'd like to remind them that as a trusted TV personality, uh, I can be helpful in rounding up others to toil in their underground sugar caves. I love the Simpsons. So you do see the ship arriving in a couple different locations. One is going over the Los Angeles area, so that's where you see Will Smith uh, wake up. And then he has the moment where he goes out to grab the paper in the morning, and everybody else is packing up their cars and staring in one direction. And, of course, there's this huge ship that's over L.A., Don't you think when that ship shows up and is hovering over Los Angeles, don't you think there's honestly like mad panic and a scramble to get out of the city? I think they're trying to make a a statement here because the people in New York were going batshit crazy. Yeah. In California, everyone's laid back. (laughs) (laughs) Had medical marijuana been legalized in California at this point? Is that the... I think the the issue here is just that it came on very suddenly. They're in awe. Yeah. What is this? What is going on? I don't think I'd see it immediately jump in my car and take off. Did you not watch the V miniseries in the (laughs) 80s? That was a slow burn, man. But you learned at the end that they were lizard overlords that were (laughs) trying to uh, steal all of our water and eat us. No good can come from these aliens. Yeah. Well, that's true. I think we may have skipped over a little bit of this in the White House when the White House is reacting. First of all, I'm going like, why are you guys in the Oval Office? Shouldn't you be in the Situation Room? But they're talking about, should we go to DEFCON 3? And I'm going, what are you talking about, man? It's like, there are these alien ships. Yeah, it's DEFCON 1. You know what DEFCON 3 is? The Air Force is ready to mobilize in 15 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) You need to mobilize now you need to be mobilized yeah. go to defcon one i did like the president 
they're asking about like, oh, you should take shelter. No, no, no. I'm going to stay here. Just take the VP and joint chiefs and uh, take them wherever. (laughs) Just completely break protocol. I'm going to hang out here. for. I'm not scared. It's fine. I'm just the president. David deduces that it's a countdown because they, they reference his background that he was a brilliant MIT communications guy or something. And then he ended up working for, what is it, a news organization? I'm not sure exactly what he does. It's a local TV station. He has failed in his, at least his wife believes that he was not ambitious enough with his goals in life, which becomes a small running theme throughout the movie. But he does discover that there is a signal that's being bounced among the satellites that says that there is a countdown that is underway. And he realizes that there's about six hours until he says that there's going to be an attack. He jumps in a car with his dad and they start driving towards the White House. Why he couldn't just repeatedly call the White House to give him this information versus having to make the, what, what ends up being apparently a 226 mile drive. And I checked it out. I was, I was curious to see when they said there were six hours left and how long would it take him to drive there? Well, it'd be about three hours and 42 minutes. So with traffic, I'm not sure they make it there in time, but whatever. Reverse uh, commute. Everyone else getting out of town, they're going in. Yeah, but if you think about it that way, it's wide open lanes from New York to D.C., which means that everyone from D.C. is headed to New York. (laughs) No. (laughs) Better go inland. Uh, Just good stuff. You see the Harvey Firestein character. So he's he does this whole like, I got to call this. I got to call that. I got to call my lawyer or whatever. And then you see (laughs) him. I'm sorry. Can you do your Harvey Firestein again? That was the most Harvey Firestein you're going to get out of me today. Sorry. Oh, David. (laughs) Yeah, see, yours is much better. (laughs) Why have that character in there? I mean, it's just, I guess, to Marcus's point, maybe it's pretty grim if you really think about what's happening. So maybe you need to lighten it up. But it's just, uh, it doesn't work for me. But he also doesn't even help out because I think most of the setup for uh, Goldblum's character is through his dad or his ex-wife. You don't even need Marty to set up Goldblum's character. I think Marty is there so that Goldblum can show him the signal. He just needs someone there. The Harvey Firestein character, I think, was a little bit annoying. Like, you don't need to go all over the top. I, I don't know. Yeah. Again, to me, it's distracting. It makes sense to me if you have a character there because they're going to serve a very specific purpose when it comes to exposition or advancing the plot or anything else. But he's really there just to just to be on the receiving end of exposition that the character is, in this case, you know, the, the David Levinson character that Goldman plays. I think his goal is to distract you from uh, thinking too hard about the story. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I, don't know. I, think, I, just, I think you might be right. There is one funny thing because they show that there's a group of people that are in Los Angeles who are, they're trying to f- flag down the aliens. They want to greet them with signs and all that kind of stuff. And But then one thing that you hear over the news is, Once again, the LAPD is asking Los Angeles not to fire their guns at the visitor spacecraft. You may inadvertently trigger an interstellar war. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. I laughed so, so hard great. when I saw it again. And back to you, Tammy. I mean, it's that so is awesome. just golden. <laughs> it's so L.A. So you have Will Smith. So he shows up at the base because, of course, he's a fighter pilot. There's a great moment, though, where he is in the locker room with Harry Connick Jr. when they're getting ready. And he opens up his locker. He, he had applied to be an astronaut. He has a NASA rejection letter that Harry Connick Jr. reads for him. But when he opens up his locker, inside his locker are pictures taped on there of space shuttle, uh, other rockets. I mean, so this is a fighter pilot in his, I don't know what, mid to late 20s, who is putting up pictures in his locker. I'm surprised he didn't have pictures of astronauts of the month club. He gets rejected from NASA because he's dating a stripper, or at least that's Harry Connick Jr.'s line on it. And he says, you're never going to fly the space shuttle if you're married to a stripper. Like, what? 
I kind of agree. <laughs> <laughs> There's a stripper empowerment thing going on in this movie, though, don't you think? I hadn't really thought about it that much. They turn the stripper into a first responder. So I think they're trying to tell you that strippers have other skills as well. Sure. All right. <laughs> no? Okay. Sure. Okay. Okay. Why is being married to a stripper mean that you're never going to fly the space shuttle? Because you think they want the family shots for their pilots and all that? NASA's always had this thing where Image. the astronaut, hey, have you not seen the right stuff? You got to have have like an all-American image. And apparently you don't have an all-American image if you're dating and or married to an exotic dancer. I just want to go back for a little bit to David and Marty, unless that's where you were going to go. I was skipping past a lot of that shit, so go for it. There was one good line when he's trying to explain this whole thing to Marty that there's a signal and it's counting down. And then Marty goes, and then what? It's like in chess. First, you strategically position your pieces. And when the timing's right, you strike. See? They're positioning themselves all over the world using this one signal to synchronize their efforts in approximately six hours. The signal's going to disappear and the countdown's going to be over. And then what? Checkmate. Which is a nice little callback to him and his father playing chess. It, it was a good dramatic line. I liked the line. But I do have a question about this whole signal. I have to wonder, why would the aliens need to piggyback their countdown into the human satellite signals. And now they explain this. They say in order for the ships around the the globe to communicate with each other, they don't have line of sight. So they're using the satellite signals to coordinate their attack. That makes sense, except for the fact that this is in a technologically advanced alien race. And I don't think that if they traveled billions of miles across the galaxy, that they would actually need to rely on line of sight in order to communicate with each well, other. Well, you still have to obey the laws of physics, the electromagnetic spectrum. You can't bend light around the Earth. I would think that they would have their own communication devices to relay the information as required. Yes. The bigger nit is I believe all the cities are attacking is in the Northern Hemisphere. And so they can just communicate with the actual mothership unless they're trying to communicate to uh, ships on the Southern Hemisphere, right? I mean, hey, that's a good point. They also probably only need to send their own communication satellite, North Pole and South Pole. Or just use the ships to relay themselves. If they're using line of sight, which again, if you traveled across the galaxy... I think you know more about physics than we do. I'm assuming that they could probably... Are you telling me that the science in this film (laughs) is not solid? Is that what you're trying to represent here? Should I just not be nitpicking this? I I think we got some more problems in the satellite issue, so... (laughs) All right, all right. We can move on. So David and his dad show up at the White House. By the time he shows them how much time they have left, it's something, isn't it, down to 20 minutes or something like that? It's it's very, it's a very small window. Well, you had to drive. You think that they might want to have tried to contact them earlier, but whatever. I was hoping the extended version would be another hour of them picking music to listen to on the drive. (laughs) (laughs) They they had to stop at Best Buy to pick up some Creed. (laughs) Sorry, I actually did a real spit take there. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta clean up my monitor. But this is where, of course, it builds to the very first attack by the ships. You know what? This is a great moment in the movie. I do have a couple questions. So the aliens managed to pick out some important landmarks. So were they doing research in that regard, or did they just get lucky? Taking out the Empire State Building? I mean, come on. I believe they said they were monitoring... For 10 years or something? The Randy Quaid story was true about him being abducted. They've been here since at least 1947 and Roswell. That's true. They were here even before that. So yeah, they picked up our TV signals from 1952 and and they found us and now they came to get us. 
they were saying some stuff about targeting the biggest cities. And there's some exposition about why they're picking those targets. Yeah. The, the explosions are fantastic. Yeah. The miniature work in terms of blowing up those buildings, it really does look great. The initial energy surge that you see coming out of the bottom of the ships in terms of the blue color, the laser itself and the delay, you know, when it hits and then the explosion that comes afterwards. There's one shot where they pull back and you basically just see the circular devastation, what has been radiating out from the ship. I think, I think that might be a Los Angeles shot. Yeah, it's really cool. It's a very cool visual, specifically because of the scale of the ships and the scale of the devastation. Yeah, I totally agree. That's what you remember from the movie. Yeah. Those shots and the, the, all the landmarks exploding. This was a great choice to show all of these very famous landmarks being destroyed. Good stuff, I, I have to say. Before this happened, though, when they sent the welcome wa wagon up to the uh, the one in D.C., this helicopter with the, all the lights to try to communicate. Wh whose fucking idea was this? <laughs> no, I just said that. Seriously. They had just watched Close Encounters. And they're like, yeah. this, uh... <laughs> <laughs> let's try what they did in Close Encounters. Yeah, let's do that. And of course, they forgot their keyboards. <laughs> what were the lights saying? Were they blinking in sequence or were they blinking out of sequence? Yes, sir, these lights keep blinking out of sequence, sir. Nice. What should we do about it, sir? Get them to blink in sequence. Well, also, since we switched to Morse code, <laughs> yeah. that was another flaw. If they're trying to use the lights, Morse code would be a decent code to try. That's what they use to communicate later is using Morse code because aliens can't decipher it. Let's try to communicate and let's, you know, we'll do it with uh, visual with, with these uh, lights. Why do you think that the aliens would understand whatever it is? Yeah. The aliens would probably be sitting there. What are these guys doing? Yeah. Oh, those assholes are just showing us lights in a line. <laughs> what does that mean? Now, there is a possibility that they could have had an idea as to uh, how to do this, or, or at least that the aliens might have, because again, the aliens have been monitoring us, so they might actually know Morse code. And if you're the Secretary of Defense, you might know this. But the president doesn't because he's been kept in the dark about the aliens and Area 51. Which doesn't really make a lot of sense. But No, that makes no sense at all. But we can talk right. about that later. This is another one of those head scratchers of, uh, in the plot. I think they wanted to go from the moment, are they peaceful to, okay, they're not peaceful. They did that with, well. With authority. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then this leads to the initial counterattack. Will Smith and Harry Connick Jr. and a bunch of other people who get killed and <laughs> jump in their planes and go up to try and attack the ship. That's another great scene just from a scale standpoint, right? Because you imagine you're in that plane and flying forward and you're like, holy shit, this thing's huge. Yeah. And they realize there is a energy force field around the ship that prevents the ship from getting hit. And then a bunch of smaller ships come out and proceed to kick their ass. It was a great scene. Okay, what are we even going to do against this thing? They have force right. fields that nothing we're shooting at them works. Their air force is more powerful than ours and bigger and stronger. and We're doomed. But Will Smith was taking off from an army base in Los Angeles, right? No, no, he was taking off from the Marine Corps air base at uh, El Toro, which is in Orange County. Is there a pretty big canyon near Orange yeah. County? He flies through a canyon with an alien spacecraft on his tail. I, I did a little, a little mapping in geography. Okay. So first of all, they're in El Toro. They're, they're, that's where the airbase is. It's, it's in Orange County. So they fly up to LA because that's where the ship is. It's downtown LA, right? According to Wikipedia, this fight takes place in uh, the Grand Canyon. What? Wait, where it was filmed or where you think the story is supposed to be indicating that it's taking place? So where the crash occurs, supposedly that is the Grand Canyon. It's not as far-fetched as you think. It's not that far, but it's still like... Top speed of an F-18 is uh, Mach 1.8. And that's a 1,200 miles an hour. 
it would have taken them 20 minutes. Did the extended version have 20 minutes of them just flying? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it would have been better than Russell's family. <laughs> that would have explained it. they said something about him being in Imperial Valley. Imperial Valley is actually on the border with Mexico. That's where Russell's family oh, was. Okay, there okay. So it's south of, yeah, way yeah. south of there then. They crash in the Grand Canyon. <laughs> then... Somehow, he drags an alien all the way to the middle of Nevada, 210 miles away. So Groom Lake is where Area 51 is. There's no way that he makes it there. He did get picked up by the RV refugees, but he got picked up on the salt flats. Yeah. How did he drag that alien 200 miles to then get picked up? Colin, stop asking questions about it. I know. I know. I know. This week in Southwest Geography... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> the spacecraft that's following will smith crashes and will smith goes over there and the cockpit opens he punches the exoskeleton of this thing and knocks it out that's what you get <laughs> look at you ship all bang up who's the man huh who's the man wait till i get another plane i'm lining all your friends up right beside you <laughs> Welcome to Earth. That's what I call a close encounter. Yeah, it was terrible. He's doing exactly what they're asking him to do, and he's doing it well, but it's just really, really dumb. Come on, that, that's trailer material. That's the action movie. You're in the theater, and people are cheering and loving that moment. I thought when he uh, came out of the parachute and landed, he hit the ground really hard. He break both his legs on that. Not the same thing, actually. Yeah, whoever the, the stunt actor was doing that, he, he came in pretty no, hard. I don't think it was a stunt. I think they just dropped a, a dummy, I hope. Will Smith. <laughs> I hope so, because I had the exact same thought. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like a second later, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> no, you're not. Your legs are in your up by your head. <laughs> so then Vivica Fox, as our erotic. Exotic. Exotic. <laughs> exotic. <laughs> Sorry. Exotic dancer, first responder. She grabs a some, a maintenance vehicle and she's going around and picking up people. And one of the people that she ends up finding is the first lady. What's great about that is they have the first lady. She's down on the ground. You know, she's got the rubble around her and people run up. Let me get this off you. What I think is laying on top of her is a piece of aluminum. It looks like it weighs about seven pounds. <laughs> it's just kind of funny. There's no girder that they're taking off of her crushed body. Them surviving by just ducking into a little nook in the tunnel or wherever they were. They're the only ones who survived this tunnel because they stepped away a little bit. Yeah, we blew past that because during the alien attack, thank you for going oh, back man. to that, there's this great moment where there's this huge fireball that's coming down the tunnel. They're waiting, waiting, waiting for the dog to jump in there. And they don't close the there's door. There's no door. It's just like a little alcove. She broke it open, but then she didn't close oh, okay. it, which would have right. been key to uh, avoid the fireball yeah. that's right. coming down the top. I still think they would have been roasted alive. If- oh, of course. And then they're the only three people who happen to be able to survive that. I think not overthinking it is the key to the movie. What's great is they have a title card that flashes in terms of where they're going. And the title card is Secret Military Installation, Codename Area 51. <laughs> This isn't exactly a secret military installation. <laughs> this sign did not say that. It did too. Go back and look at it. Holy shit. Secret military installation, code name Area 51. And I, I started laughing when I saw it, which is why I made a note of it. It is kind of funny that they've got this one guard post and all these people show up and they're like, well, we're going in. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I guess you're going to go. Uh, they make Will security. Smith. Okay. He's an Air Force pilot. He's got a dead alien. Okay. We'll let him go by. No, we'll let the whole RV crew go in. So the rest of you RV clowns, you stay out. The whole dragging the uh, the alien 
along in the parachute. I thought it was kind of interesting because it sort of looked like with all the tentacles hanging out the back, it sort of looked like a big squid. The RV refugees come and pick him up, strung out in this big line, driving along the salt flats. It's kind of a cool shot. It's really cool. Cool visual, yeah. I liked it. Yeah. Prior to getting the, to the base, the president finds out that the CIA, among others, has held a ship from the Roswell crash since the late 40s at this secret military installation. And so they go in there, and of course, there's there's 100 people that are working on who knows what they're doing, right? People are, people are just running around randomly looking Trying at Trying to look busy here, Dave. <laughs> Everybody needs to look busy so to maintain their job security. They see the ship, and it's one of the same ships that was fighting the fighter pilots. It is the same alien that had been there years ago. I do have a question about that, though. If that was one of their fighter pilots, was it a scout ship? Was there a big ship that came around the Earth in 1947? What were they waiting for? I mean, how did it get there? Good question. Uh, that was a Mark Nine alien vessel. And oh, okay. It's a, more of a scout ship. I have no idea. It's an interesting point. I mean, I guess it's multi-purpose. It can fly in space, apparently. I did like the cheesy line. Why wasn't I told about this? Two words. Plausible deniability. <laughs> I liked the uh, quote. He's like, I don't understand. Like, where do you get the funding oh, for yeah. this? And then Julius David's father goes, you don't think they really spend $20,000 on a hammer or $30,000 on a toilet seat, do you? Good point. So Will Smith gets back and he's eager to get back to his base. And so he goes to, he's talking to uh, Robert Loja's character. Robert Loja tells him, he's like, well, the whole thing has been destroyed or something along those lines. And then instead of giving him any sort of moment of comfort, he just walks away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the entire base is gone. All your friends are dead. Suck it yeah, up, man. Yeah, but come on. And he just walks Three million off. people in LA just got wiped out too, so. I'm not sure about stealing a helicopter and flying out back to LA or back to uh, El Toro. One guy's about to stop him. He's like, come on, man. <laughs> All right. <laughs> People may have been confused, but um, when they showed the uh, El Toro airbase being destroyed by the uh, alien ships, it looked strikingly similar to Area 51 because it was like all out the desert. And I think it even looked like it was on the salt flats. El Toro is in a fairly suburban area. You drive right by it on, on the I-5 down in Orange County. Looks nothing like that. We're going to have to put together the Colin Boyd Real DMC Geography Supercut. Will Smith jumps in this helicopter, flies to LA to go looking. I mean, it's like he's looking for a needle in a haystack. He went to the base, assuming that she would go to the base too. But she wasn't there. No, she was. Is that where you found her? Yeah, I thought he flew to the base. Oh, I thought he did. she went to the ruins of the base. Because oh. she was at that front gate. And it's a restricted area and she couldn't get in. Okay. All right. Colin thinks that Will Smith just randomly sat down in a helicopter anywhere <laughs> and she was there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, then the only issues I have with that are that, A, he's an F-18 pilot. How does he know how to fly a helicopter? He's a pilot. <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> I believe it clearly matters because at the end, anybody who's a pilot of can any kind anything. can jump in an F-18 and just crank it. <laughs> and then no, no problem. Okay, maybe in that world. And B, that particular helicopter only has a range of about 270 miles. He could have got down to El Toro, but the, he wouldn't have had any fuel to get back. It's a one-way trip. Knew he had to take it. There was another extra extended, extended scene showing him like filling the gas tank. <laughs> <laughs> Flying to the Grand Canyon and filling gas tanks. No, you couldn't have put in that extra like 10 seconds of him at the pump. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. Hey, honey, do you, do you have your card? Instead, I got to hear about Troy whining about his medicine. I'm so sick of medicine. <laughs> <laughs> The hell with you, Troy. Fucking Troy. We skipped over it, but the alien, they have an alien that, that ends up waking up. It takes control of the Brent Spiner character. It basically makes him talk. They're not so subtle in terms of what it is that they say they want because they say 
They want us to die. We can find a way to coexist. Can there be a peace between us? No peace. What is it you want us to do? pretty bad guy alien straight off that was pretty good it makes for a very clear-cut enemy so it's kind of nice they're using some telepathy on bill pullman as the president you know after they end up killing the alien he sits there and the first thing he he sits up and he's like new come let's snoop the bastards Nukem, Johnny. That's kind of fun. And it does then cut to their attempted nuclear strike on the ship. They bring in some B-2 stealth bombers for the job. And I did have a question here, which is, I feel like Houston shows up in a lot of movies as a city. <laughs> as opposed to a town? If you're going to blow up a city in Texas, I guess I would think that you would do Dallas over Houston, but maybe I'm just not a Texan, so. I think that they actually, the city of Houston uh, paid the the (laughs) filmmakers. They they were going to do Dallas. Chamber of Commerce is trying to get some promotion. We really need to bump up our profile here. Let's give them some greenbacks and get our name in this new science fiction film that's coming out. (laughs) Little did they know that they were going to nuke Houston. That whole nuke scene is actually, I think, pretty cool. The ship's in the air. You see the, the B-2 bombers coming in. I was, I was kind of curious to see when the B-2 made its public debut, and that was actually in 1988. That checks out. When they're attacking, they have a spotter team that is there to see the results of the nuclear attack. And the way that that whole thing is done, I think, is pretty cool, right? So you have the spotter team from a distance. I like kind of the grainy look when they're looking through the camera to see the results of the attack. Their periscope. Truthfully, you don't see a lot of American cities getting nuked in movies. So, yeah, this is actually pretty interesting. I think what worked about it is that it was grainy. And it was like this night vision. Because of that, it had a sense of uh, realism to it. What yeah. I didn't like was the fact the B-2 bombers felt that they needed to get within, I don't know, like half, half a, a mile, mile. <laughs> of the ship. These nuclear-tipped cruise missiles can actually be fired from quite a long way away. Yeah. <laughs> um, you could have launched one from a submarine. <laughs> yeah, but then, you know, you wouldn't get to see the tiny little B-2 up against this this ship. Yeah, again, because of the scale, it works really well. Yeah. Going back to the Will Smith thing, so when he does fly his helicopter out and he finds the first responder, uh, exotic <laughs> dancer, girlfriend... <laughs> You know, he comes walking in and there's a, he comes walking in and there's, there's light behind him and he walks up and he says, You're late. Uh, you know, I like to make an entrance. And it's almost like you're watching the very end of a movie. It's like they end the movie just briefly, <laughs> just at that moment, because that's the energy of that scene. I think it's very strange. It feels a little bit out of left field. It feels very much like the uh, not something you would do in the middle if, of a movie. If you like, the character's name is Jasmine. <laughs> He's at the refrigerator. Okay, yeah. Jasmine. Do you know what strange energy is? You nuke an American city, and then the Secretary of Defense jumps up and down like he, his team just scored the winning touchdown <laughs> in the Super Bowl. Right. That's a little weird energy. He's a little fired up. So Will Smith is able to <laughs> is able to rescue the first lady of the United States, and apparently she has internal bleeding. And their number one treatment for internal bleeding is just to <laughs> let her lay in bed. 
<laughs> and she's still fully conscious. She's moving around okay. I mean, uh, spit take number two. <laughs> Mr. President, your wife is resting comfortably from the heat. Perhaps if we've done that for her earlier. Hey, there she is. Your wife is bleeding internally, Mr. President. Perhaps if we got to her earlier. Wait a minute, what are you saying? We can't stop the bleeding. If we there's nothing we can do for her. Did you actually try anything? <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> that death is pretty funny. Yeah, I don't know why they needed it at all. I think they could just cut the whole character, had him be a widow earlier. He would have been just fine. No, because then it would have been too much like the American president or uh, the West Wing. Of course, the West Wing went hadn't been on yet, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm looking at my notes and I have wife in bed, quote, there's nothing we can do for her. And then I have just dash, huh? In all caps. <laughs> you think they'd at least try. Try anything, really. Wrap a Band-Aid around her or something. I mean, just, just give it a shot. Again, they're at the most technologically advanced American military and scientific installation. They can't even just open her up and try to, to stop the bleeding. They can do autopsies on aliens. <laughs> but not, <laughs> but not I guess humans. that's it. Come on, there's got to be something you could do for her, doctor. I guess we could give her an autopsy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you want uh, Dr. Oaken to, to do anything actually there. You definitely don't. The energy of the actor that's playing the doctor too is pretty funny because he does not come across as a committed physician. Yeah. He feels like he's lost and maybe sad. <laughs> it's just very... So they obviously cut out this one line. Unfortunately, it was not an extended edition. The doctor gives him the, the president the bad news and he goes, uh, all right, well, thank you, doctor. He's like, well, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> I do love that then the president goes out and he has to sit down and his daughter is there and his daughter says, you know, is, is mommy sleeping? And then he's, of course, yes, she's sleeping. What they should have done to wrap that up a little bit is gone back after the aliens getting shot down and then just had the little girl walk up to the president and say, is mommy still sleeping? <laughs> and they should have ended the movie that way. They'd already forgotten about her. They were all happy ending. Why is mommy sleeping so long? <laughs> Somebody forgot to wake mommy up. She missed it all. Mommy's very tired and very pale. And a little stiff. Why can't you just have her killed in L.A. with everyone else? I don't know. You missed the big tearjerker moment that was not quite a big tearjerker moment. Yeah, yeah, I know. They end up forming their plan about how they're going to take down the aliens. And this is where the movie gets truly awesome. <laughs> Certainly from a science perspective. <laughs> science, computers, technology, whatever you want to call it. Jeff Goldblum's character, you know, David Le Levinson. So he is not a good drunk. So we, I think we've established that Melanie Griffith, she plays drunk very well in oh, Working yeah. Girl. I do not think this is a good drunk performance from Jeff Goldblum. Better than Michael Bean? Better than Michael Bean. Michael Bean in Navy worst, Seals worst is, our, is, is, the, is the worst <laughs> drunk. Yeah. Oh, man. This is where the movie just gets pretty wacky because he's drunk, he's laying on the floor, and his dad says, Come on, David, David, you need your rest. Come on. Get off this freezing concrete floor before you catch cold. Come on. What did you say? You mean about faith? Well, you see, a man can live his mm, pile of... Yeah, do it. <sighs> I don't want you to catch cold. Oh. What is that? What's the matter with you? Genius. Genius? My dad. A total genius. Jeff, wake up. We got work to do. Get everybody down here right away. And that triggers the thought that actually saves the world because cold leads to virus, leads to, I'm going to do a computer virus. And in literally five to seven minutes, while he's still obviously drunk, by the way, 
he does end up crushing a good half bottle of whiskey over the course of the movie, if you assume that he was the one that drank all the, the bottle It'll earlier. probably take him out for a little bit longer than it did. I think that that would actually lay him out, but whatever. I think he got immediately sober. Immediately sober with his... The uh, idea. The, the vision that he had? Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, this scene and the plan is just so fantastic. Leading up to that, he's an environmentalist, and we just used nukes on American soil, and he's so upset about this. He, he ends up drinking this half bottle of whiskey. All I'm thinking is, dude, you might want to think bigger picture. Right. You're going to get your ass destroyed. Yeah. You're about to be annihilated by aliens. I think the environment can take another nuclear explosion. Especially Houston. I mean, come on, it's only Houston. <laughs> I know. Fucking Houston always trying to work its way into movies. <laughs> Nobody wanted to lose Dallas. So they're like, ah, eh, Houston, just blow up Houston. So he puts forward this idea that he's going to create a computer virus. Now, the way that he tests this is absolutely fantastic. So they have the ship there in the hangar. He puts a Coke can up on it, and then he does something. And this is what does not make any sense whatsoever, right? Because he turns the shields on the ship. He has the major, tries to shoot a Coke can. And of course, it hits the shields and bounces off, which is, there's a room full of people <laughs> yeah, exactly here. Didn't get so I know. So the bullet goes like wildly ricocheting around the room. And it's, To his credit, he was drunk. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have him just like random keyboard clicking, right? He's like... Okay, and th- th- now try it. <laughs> and uh, he puts the Coke can, and sure enough, the guy shoots the Coke can. And then he goes over to a whiteboard, and he maps out his plan, which is he draws one circle. That's, that's the big ship. <laughs> and then he draws a couple other circles. These are the smaller ships. And we're going to go here, and we're going to plant virus. This is exposition that is ideally targeted to someone in the seven to nine zone, I think, in terms of the level of sophistication. Either that or a C-class executives, right? He's presenting to the uh, secretaries of defense and the president. I got to speak slow here. You got to make this simple. For whatever reason, the secretary, he goes ballistic at the idea of the plan for no reason whatsoever. He's like, that's stupid. You can't try that. What else are you going to fucking do? You just tried nuking something. So why not just go to the grab bag and see what people can come up with here? Basically, they do that so that the president can fire him dramatically. That doesn't lead to anything either. It's not like a new secretary of state gets subbed in or something. Weird couple moments there. It was the secretary of defense. He didn't like trying to coordinate all of the fighter pilots based on this one remote chance of whatever this dumb virus idea would work. The virus thing's not going to work and we're going to have all our pilots out there ready to shoot it down and they're just going to be sitting ducks is my guess what he didn't like. And they did promote the other general to uh, secretary of defense, didn't he? I don't think so. The Senate confirmation was in the uh, extended version. (laughs) (laughs) Considering the Senate's like destroyed and everyone's dead. uh, This whole virus. (laughs) I'm just stuck on the virus. There's two ways we can approach this, which is we can try to talk about the absolute absurdity of this entire thing or simply accept it. In order for the movie to move on, you have to accept it. But I think people have been talking about this now for, what, 25 years. This is the big reaction from people back in the day is the absurdity of the whole computer virus and the, the plausibility of the whole thing. And It's an interesting idea. I mean, you think to Stuxnet planting a virus and taking out a, an Iranian you know, nuclear facility. But alien virus? You don't even know if they have computers. Yeah. Let alone, how are you going to write a virus that's going <laughs> to essentially destroy their systems? How do they test it? How do they do software interfacing? Uh, how do you do the networking? Uh, how do you do what's any of it? I, I know. Which is why they made this movie and it's like you could have cut out all the time you spent on Russell's kids, put an extra 10 minutes of them unpacking and trying to decrypt and figure out, okay, it looks like we could do this or maybe we could do that or at least some level of exposition because he randomly figures out how to create a virus to take down arguably the most technically advanced 
society in existence in the, in the galaxy or whatever. And he does it in like three minutes. He creates a status upload indicator. He creates a little funny skull that laughs. Yeah, the Jolly Roger. We have to go item by <laughs> item when we get there because there's some fantastic interface design work that he did. He's He went to MIT, so there you go. There's your answer. Okay. They're teaching alien software interfaces and protocols at, at MIT, apparently. So Captain Hillard, of course, so Will Smith's character, just volunteers to fly because he's a pilot. Actually, that's a good indicator that when you are in this universe... If you have any level of flying experience, it's automatically transferable to any flying vehicle whatsoever. Like computer programming. If you're, you can do computer programming, you can program anything. Oh, it's just like in Jurassic Park. <laughs> that a 12-year-old girl uh, shuts down the entire uh, park software. Right. Oh, I know this. This is Linux. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. The president, as he's walking away, he turns to Will Smith and he says, Let's get this thing Good luck, pilot. Thank you, Mr. President. Good luck, pilot. Doesn't even bother to get his name. <laughs> That's what I like about that. You're just another fucking pilot that's going up there. I think they could have done better writing, too. It didn't even have to be computer. They could have done any writing is, the, is what you're looking for there. Physics. Okay, they're using this signal or intercept this signal. All they needed is two to three minutes of, hey, we've been studying this thing since 1947. We have the communication protocols. We think we understand their language or yeah. some sort of throwaway line to give you any kind of way where you could even have the thinnest bit of a plausible explanation for this, but it just never gets close. Just say, okay, it'd be like intercepting a cell tower. They send out that signal, bypass it, adjust it to be your own. Wait, you mean piggyback our own signal onto theirs? Exactly. I think all they really needed was Christopher Nolan to be making movies 20 years earlier, and he would have come up with something that no one would have understood. Be like, okay, I'll just accept yeah. it. Did you recently watch Tenet? Yes. <laughs> it's really actually quite good and interesting. I needed to take some time, and then I'm going to watch it again. <laughs> That's what they say to do. Watch it, and then think about it a little bit, and then watch it again. As they're making this plan to go up, they then communicate to the rest of the world their plans for the grand counter-strike. They basically do this using Morse code. It does show these different countries around the world and everybody's everybody's apparently just waiting for the Americans to say when they're going to attack, which I think is kind of funny, but okay, we'll, we'll go with that. And of course, they do show things like Israeli army working with the Iraqis. Alien attack has brought humanity together. There's a little bit of that message they're, they're trying to send there, I think. So it's a solution to uh, world peace, right? Is that the speech? That's, it. That's the overall message of the movie, though. I like how the British soldiers are talking about how they've got some resistance fighters hiding in the, the Golan Straits. There are no Golan Straits. <laughs> There's the Golan Heights, yes. Golan Straits? <laughs> Who wrote this? Jesus. Maybe there was an explosion that they created some straits. You never know. Anyone explain the, the whole Morse code thing to me? Why is it that they needed to use Morse code? Code or is it the method of communication? It actually makes no sense because how they would actually get Morse code without satellites everywhere doesn't quite make sense. That's what I'm wondering. Was it over radio or is it the telegraph lines? Because I'm pretty sure all the telegraph lines were destroyed back in 1930 <laughs> i have no idea it's not explained other than they just want to show a bunch of people tapping on shit it's a weak point yeah i just didn't really get it so that they can communicate with or at least track what will smith and jeff goldblum are doing on the ship they apparently plant an inverted silver dildo <laughs> on the bottom of the on the bottom of the ship because you know when you look at that thing it has an <laughs> It has a head on it, I'll say that. That's the, that's <laughs> and it, it doesn't quite have balls, but it has something that you could potentially say is a scrotum. It definitely looks like a dildo. Here's a screenshot of my notes. <laughs> Silver dildo attached to spacecraft. There you go. 
basically had the same question about it. At one point, they're, they're, they're checking the communication device and the head pops out <laughs> a little bit. So it was very phallic. I'll leave it at that. It was an uncircumcised dildo? No, I think it was circumcised. Well, you said the head popped out. I mean, is that, a, is that not how yours <laughs> works? <laughs> no, my head's already, it's always out. <laughs> Do you know how they work? <laughs> oh, man. And I, have, and I have two kids and everything. Okay. They're randomly trying to uh, scrape up pilots. So they run out to the just the group of people in the RV and they say, hey, anybody have any flight experience? And this, of course, is what gets Randy Quaid's character into a plane. And he's pretty drunk at that point. His uh, son brings him a couple cups of coffee and he's good to go. And I think it's like 26 minutes. Because don't they say the ship is coming in and it'll be there in 26 minutes yeah, over the base? Yeah, so he sobers up quickly. Or he's flying an F-18 drunk. <laughs> One of the two. The drunk flying. I think both, actually. And there's a quick scene where, where Will Smith ends up marrying Jasmine. I did use her there correct character name that time. Uh, but then, of course, this cuts to probably what people, if you don't think about the explosion and the White House being blown up, this is probably what you think about when you think about this movie, which is Bill Pullman giving one of the all-time great movie speeches that's about 50% inspirational and 50% pure schmaltz. <laughs> oh, it's totally. It's pretty great. It's the schmaltz that makes it so good. He sells that moment. I mean, I'm totally bought in. And should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday. But as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night, we will not vanish without a fight, we're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. I want him to be my president at that moment. Oh, yeah, yeah, i just thinking about it. I hate to admit this. I get a little chill down my spine when I think about it. He crushed that speech. You remember Pacific Rim when Idris Elba, you know, we are canceling the apocalypse speech? Today there's not a man nor woman in here that shall stand alone. Not today. Today we face the monsters that are at our door and bring the fight to them. Today we are canceling the apocalypse! I think a lot of movie speeches have been based on how Bill Pullman delivered this speech. Yeah. Particularly in B or action movies. Interesting trivia note. So apparently he delivered that speech on the 50th anniversary of Hiroshima. And he was standing in front of the hangar that at one time did have the Enola Gay in it, which I thought was kind of interesting. That is mildly interesting. At least I hit it the mildly level for you. <laughs> the one thing I would say about that speech is kind of funny is they cut to a couple of random people in the crowd, right? They cut to this guy that has like the aviator shades and he, he looks a little gruff and he's got a baseball hat on. Another guy just holding a machine gun kind of casually on his shoulder. Some of the quick flashes of the people in the crowd, I think are kind of funny. I was just sort of surprised at the end when everyone's applauding that these guys weren't you know, firing their automatic weapons into the air. <laughs> I mean, it is a great speech, so I'll give them credit for that. But the end, the crowd is nearly orgasmic. I mean, they are just, everyone's just going crazy. Everyone's pretty fired up. They want to go kick E.T.'s ass, as Will Smith says earlier in the movie. So Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum, they jump in the ship because they're going to go deliver the virus. Jeff Goldblum's character has been separated from his wife. They're divorced. She walks up to him and he's jumping in a ship that crash landed in the late 40s. There's a nuke strapped to it. And she just gives him a casual, be careful. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. She's just, be careful. What are the odds you're coming back on from this in, in this like scenario 2%. in real life, right? Probably not high. So I think what was going through her mind at the time was, he's definitely going to die. What do you say in this situation? Be careful. <laughs> 
She's like, I give him five to one that he doesn't even make it out of this hangar. <laughs> right. I, did, I did like when they first they got the dramatic moment. He's going to fly out of there and goes backwards. And See, that was actually good. Oh, was I funny. like that because they're like, okay, this guy is not a, uh, he doesn't, he's not a pilot of everything until, of course, he gets into space and they have to fly out, in which case he's been flying this thing for his whole life. Well, it would have been totally unbelievable if he just knew how to fly it immediately. You have to have one little... One little mishap. One little mishap, and then and then it's like, oh, of course. They jump in the ship, and so Jeff Goldblum opens his laptop, and his laptop says, good morning, Dave, with a picture of Hal, just randomly in there. I mean, I don't know why that is in there. But apparently with his skill when it comes to interface design, maybe he just designed that himself. That's the amazing thing. He was able to build the original Hal AI in his, in his laptop. He had, he had a few and extra minutes smart while he was drunk. That's probably how he was able to interface with the alien technology. Actually, he's like, it's just a screenshot. As the fighter pilots are jumping in their planes, the president makes the decision that he's going to go up with them. Because if you recall earlier in the film, uh, you were hit over the head with exposition that said that he was a combat pilot or fighter pilot. And of course, he does get the cool call sign of Eagle One. I do like that. That's his call sign. What I love is that he's just got such an amazingly cheesy, great quote. When the, the general says, like, you're not going up there. I'm a combat pilot, Will. I belong in the air. <laughs> Just good stuff. So Goldblum and Will Smith are in the ship. Somehow David Levinson, the character, knew that they would be automatically drawn into the ship when they get up there. And they have the nuke and the dildo, you know, <laughs> still strapped to the, uh, <laughs> to the hull of the ship. There are some cool visuals as they're flying through the ship. The design of the ship is sort of interesting. You see what appears to be ground forces for the alien massing. And I, I thought all that was actually, I thought that was pretty cool. I like that. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Again, scale. Yeah, it's the scale, right? So it's just the sheer size of this alien armada and everything that they have inside this huge ship. It's really too bad that they didn't have good network security. Because <laughs> they spent all their time on constructing these enormous ships and traveling billions of miles across the galaxy. And uh, they forgot their antivirus software. <laughs> this is and just so fucking ridiculous. <laughs> on of all the big budget sci-fi movies that have been made where they ask you to suspend disbelief and just roll with it this one is nearly impossible to get past (laughs) it's just i mean it's that bad i like the homage to the war of the worlds you know the aliens are ultimately defeated by bacteria right then you got a virus so it's really interesting except for that bacteria is actually a biological entity and we don't need to know how to program it. It just works. And it kills those aliens. And they all die off. This is not the same thing. They dock. He flips open his laptop. So, I mean, I, did he even get on their Wi-Fi? I mean, I'm not exactly <laughs> sure how he got connected. But I think they were looking it, for like a USB port or maybe like an 8-pin serial port. I don't know. Maybe Oh, it was the Wi-Fi password. That's what they were looking for. <laughs> Look at the indicators on his laptop, right? The first one is negotiating with host. Connected in like two seconds, right? So it's awesome and then, he's got better internet than me <laughs> and then the next one it just says uploading virus like <laughs> it actually says that uploading virus and then you see a skull icon like the skull and crossbones not long afterwards you see that same skull and crossbones start flashing on every single monitor that is across this 350 mile size ship right so it's just this is indefensible there's no way that you can in any way justify this as even being remotely possible but Whatever. It would have been more plausible if they had sent sent an email <laughs> to the aliens <laughs> with the spirit of Christmas attachment and like everyone downloaded it all at once. Hey, that was 50 megs. Take down a whole email system. I do love that they have to close the windows so they don't see them. And then the windows open and they're just hide. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I know. Hi. Hi. This is your huge plan. Can you just hope they don't notice? So here's a question for you. Assuming that you have aliens that are flying that ship, they're being brought back and they're being automatically docked. There's no way for them to get out, right? It's just attached at the top. There's uh, no yeah. there's no exit from the, the vehicle. So what do they do when they come back? They just chill in their ship until they have to go out again? Huh? Maybe they live in the ship or something. Think about how that thing is attached. It's attached at the top, right? With this big bracket that's holding it in place. But yeah. there's no other way to get out of the ship at that point. Why not? How do you get out? Where do you get out? I don't know. They're fucking aliens. I'll figure it out. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure there's a way. You know, dude, I'm going to upload a virus to your system. <laughs> so, How did David and Steven get into the ship? There was a, a door at the bottom, yeah. right? Something like that. R- right. So so imagine if they open, if they tried to walk out that door, wouldn't there be a drop of several thousand feet? Into- Maybe there's a, a docking ramp that just wasn't extended. They have an airport sleeve that comes out. <laughs> All right. Never mind. As they're there, so that what's happening down on Earth is the planes are mounting their big counterattack. Again, another really cool moment because of the scale and also because of the color that's being used. Because I think it might be, what is it, close to dawn, I guess, when the sun is coming up. And so the ship looks pretty cool. And you see the president, he fires one missile, it hits the shield, and then he fires a second one. When that second missile hits the ship, it's actually a very satisfying moment as a viewer yeah, when yeah. you're watching that. You're like, oh, okay. The idea of actually our current technology against their technology, and now they can start having an actual fight. So yeah. I do like that. Yeah, you're right. That's cool. And then they start firing all these missiles, and they're actually hitting, and they're doing damage. At this point, why not launch some nukes at these ships? Because that'll, that'll do it, right? Right. Did no one think of that? Thought about that. Or uh, maybe just fly over the top and send a few Moabs in. Yeah. Something. Something. They definitely don't have enough missiles to bring that ship down. If somebody was looking at the battle plan, best case scenario, even when the shields are down, you're going to scorch the outside of the ship and that's about it. That's all the damage you're going to do. However, they do end up finding the way to take it down because everybody's out of missiles. And then in another very cheesy moment, this is where Randy Quaid shows up. Doesn't anyone have any missiles left? One thing I do love about this is he basically is committing suicide and you hear the president say, good luck, pilot. (laughs) Good luck. You're about to commit suicide, but hey, good luck. I guess good luck in this universe is, oh, you might be fucked, but whatever. Just good luck. It was like good luck to all of humanity. I did like how they couldn't decide on what final line they wanted Russell Case to say. They included both. They were searching for a quote there, but neither one really kind of worked. No, they're very cheering lines. It's fun in the movie theaters. It's a great watch that way. Yes, exactly. It works well in a crowded yeah. theater. Back at the alien spaceship, our two intrepid virus uploaders go to fire the nuke, and they realize that they can't get undocked. But when they fire the nuke, he randomly yells, Peace! <laughs> it's a fun will smith moment i don't know if it necessarily works from a character standpoint but whatever they then fly out dramatically and the doors are closing at the at the very last second but they get out and then when the nuke goes off i mean this thing is 350 miles long and it has this huge interior but when the nuke goes off it somehow blows up the entire ship so it must have hit the main power source because a nuke would not do that much damage. I can't imagine that would be the case. No, because again, we're talking about 342 miles. It went into the main reactor. 
Just like in Star Wars. It's always about the main reactor. No contractors ever think about security for the main reactor. They shoot the missile into the primary weapon of the ship uh, above, you know, Area 51, and it explodes. And then basically the rest of that ship explodes, right? And they're like, tell everyone else around the world how to do it. Why is the whole ship blowing up? It's like the Death Star syndrome. I think they jammed their weapon. It backfired? Yeah, the way to destroy it is to have someone launch a suicide mission right when they're firing the missile, the gun, which doesn't seem like a great plan. I'm assuming that you could fire a big missile into it. Maybe that would work but as well. you have to do it right when they're about to fire. You have to have some mechanism, which is what they show in the movie, where somehow the energy backs up and destroys the entire yeah. ship. Because let's just say that those ships go down. You're still talking about hundreds of thousands of aliens on those things and, and probably a 30 to 40 year protracted ground <laughs> war, don't you think? It's amazing that every single alien gets wiped out, but whatever, it happens. The one thing I did like is also when David and what is his? Uh, Stephen Hiller. That's exactly why I've been calling him Will Smith yeah, exactly. this entire podcast. <laughs> <What's his name again? laughs> Captain Hiller. So when they were flying out of the alien craft and they just barely make it and get through the small opening, all of the uh, aliens pursuing them they all just crash, like in the Blues Brothers, they all just crash into the wall and explode. <laughs> it's just like, come on. It's all like, TIE fighters in the asteroid field. Yeah. And, you know, it's like... Uh, For a super advanced alien technology, not too great yeah. on the uh, collision detection. Might just barely make it. What if it didn't make it? You're going to crash into the wall anyways. <laughs> I don't know what the plan was there. The whole ending of this, it's good and it's it's really fun and everything. And it's especially the theater, you're like, wow. This is very reminiscent of... The Ewoks defeating the stormtroopers <laughs> and, and the return of the Jedi. I mean, that's basically what we're talking about. Prehistoric teddy bears who uh, fight with sticks and rocks, and they're able to take down the most technologically advanced Imperial forces. Okay. When they land back on the Earth, the president and a few other people will jump in a truck just to go find them, because that's what would happen in that situation. The president just jumps on the back of a truck. Yeah, let's go, let's go check it out. Pieces of the ship are burning through the atmosphere, so it looks like fireworks. And so you get some fireworks on the 4th of July, and that's how the movie ends. Really cool to see the crashed ships all around the world. Those are great shots as well. Again, scale, it does a lot for this movie. Yeah, it does. All right. Well, that brings us to the end. So anything else you guys want to talk about in terms of the plot? You said plot in quotes, right? <laughs> the plot. The spectacle? Do you have something about Whitmore's speech? This is a very stirring speech, obviously, to us in America. But Marcus, you mentioned it earlier about... I've heard it give some people chills. <laughs> for the entire world, it's it's our Independence Day. Apparently, the rest of the world didn't really like that too much. And the British particularly thought it was like gung-ho American jingoism. It is. But they're just bitter because then the first Independence Day, we kicked them out. <laughs> right. <laughs> He says the, the entire world henceforth will describe July 4th as its Independence Day. And the BBC uh, review of the film, they described it as the most jaw-droppingly pompous soliloquy ever delivered in a mainstream Hollywood movie, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Brits, come on. They're still stinging about that whole rejection in 1776. <laughs> I had a couple of little random trivia things. So apparently Roland Emmerich admitted that they screened the movie for Bill Clinton, but that he didn't want to be sitting next to Bill Clinton when the White House scene blew up, so he gave the seat to Bill Pullman. <laughs> <laughs> What's he going to do? Like, you blew up my house. <laughs> it's not Putin, for Christ's sake. And then the, the other one that I really love, so apparently, so Dean Devlin, who was the producer along with uh, Roland Emmerich for the film, so he was trying to give Robert Loggia some, a character, you know, or a framework for the character. And so he told him to watch Airplane. He was trying to say, watch Airport. 
And so Robert Loja got super freaked out that he was making a parody movie and he didn't know it. And apparently like one like stayed in his trailer extra long one day or whatever and then they they worked it out and he understood the confusion, but I just thought that was pretty funny. Are you funny. sure they weren't? <laughs> that that's hilarious. Apparently there was a misunderstanding. I read that the, the original script had Russell flying his biplane with a missile strapped to it into the ship yeah. and destroying it that way. And they even shot it that way. Am I right here? Did you read the same thing? And that What's funny is I thought I remembered that's what happened. Yeah. Really? Oh, wow. I think they did film it. And then apparently with test audiences, at least as I understand it, when I read about it, they didn't like the idea that he would have had to know that he was on a suicide mission when he took off in his biplane because he was going to attach a missile to the biplane with the idea that it wouldn't fire, obviously. And so he was just going to crash it. Apparently, the audiences didn't like that, so they switched it to where he wasn't intending to kill himself, right? Because he was still going to try the missile shot, and the missile jammed, and then that's when he make it a suicide mission. Yeah, yeah, because it's it's a lot more believable to think that he could learn how to fly an F-18 in 23 <laughs> minutes than... Uh, right. I did, like, when he first got in the plane, he hit a button. It's like, missile launching. <laughs> so, whoops. <laughs> By the way, I, I assume that all these guys are just going to be bailing out. That's how they're going to land the plane. Because could you really land an F-18 if you'd never actually tried flying one I don't before? I think you could do oh, no. any of it, but... Are you kidding? Every one of these planes... The only way out is to eject yourself and then float down to the base. Look, I, I've played Flight Simulator on my PC before. And yeah, we all know you pretty much crash that first flight. There's no way. Yeah, there's just no way. I never saw it, but somebody referenced, I guess, in Battlefield Earth. Don't they like dig up planes a thousand years old and they learn to fly them in a matter of hours or something? It's worse than this. It's, oh, is it? it's so ludicrous, which is why you should watch it because it is fantastic. It's so bad that it's good and that it's bad again. It's just amazing. <laughs> it's the science fiction's version of Showgirls. <laughs> Well, anything else you guys want to offer up on Independence Day before we get to our closing thoughts? I thought it was pretty interesting that the U.S. military was planning to provide a lot of support for the film, but then they backed out when the producers refused to remove references to Area 51. And not just Area 51, but top secret military base codename Area 51. (laughs) Right. Come on, guys. We all know it exists. By the way, Dylan and I actually went to Area 51. We drove down the road to it. And then we got out of the car and quickly took a picture and then jumped back in the car and drove out of there. <laughs> Did you feel while you were out of the car like you had a, a, a rifle trained on your head at all times? Well, what you could see actually is what were very poorly disguised bushes that had cameras in them all along the roadway. That sounds about right. Apparently, they, um, this was not going to be named Independence Day originally because there was a 1983 film called Independence Day. And so they didn't yep. think they were going to be able to use the title. So that's why it was nicknamed ID4. And they used that in a lot of the marketing campaigns. That's why specifically they had Bill Pullman use Independence Day in his speech. That was pretty interesting because uh, I guess it wasn't in the originally in the script and then they added it because they right. wanted to try to put pressure on the, the, the studio to actually acquire the rights to the name. Yeah. Pretty smart move. This will be our doomsday. It doesn't quite work as well from a speech. I mean, this will not be our doomsday. This will not be a doomsday. <laughs> no, it doesn't quite have the same ring to it. Uh, no, it does not. Oh, I just wanted to call out Will Smith, his character. He proposes to Jasmine and he bought the most beautiful engagement ring for her. It had dolphins <laughs> surrounding the, the little diamond in the middle. I didn't show this to Emily, but I know if I, if I showed it to her, she would break up laughing. It was, it might have been the worst engagement ring I've ever seen. After they had this movie, apparently there was a jump of interest in dolphin-themed engagement oh, rings. Yeah. Honestly, I think I've gotten through all my notes amazingly. Well, let's go to uh, general closing wrap, especially since we need to fucking edit this thing before 4th of July. <laughs> 
<laughs> Marcus, closing thoughts. Independence Day, it's a fun, dumb movie. It's a good action movie. Suspend all disbelief and just enjoy the ride. And it's a great movie. Uh, if you think too much about it, you'll find many, many, many plot holes. But enjoy it. It's fun. It's silly. What would you give it for a letter grade? For what it's going for, I'd probably give it a B plus. I mean, it's not a great movie at all, but it's it knows it, I think. It's hitting the mark it's aiming for. So B plus. Colin? Sit down on the couch, take out your brain, and have a good time. Exactly. <laughs> I did enjoy watching it again. Again, had all the same issues that I had. I, it, it's sort of a shame that you can't really see it on the big screen anymore. You would really find it so impressive if you did but it's still fun to watch i'm gonna give it a b i was thinking about a b minus because of the just some of the the bad writing and bad and stereotypical characters but i think i'll just go ahead and give it a b because it, it's a fun movie yes i would also give it a b mainly what i would say is i do appreciate the realistic approach to technology <laughs> and computer interfaces in particular i think that they did the right job in, in terms of setting up that with exposition and explaining how they're going to interface with alien technology. <laughs> of course, the end is just total horseshit, but you have to just kind of push that aside and, and just enjoy really the scale of the ships and how the ships look as they're hanging over the landscape and the fact that the scenes that they shot for the attack in particular, where they did the miniatures and the miniature work and the explosions, it's a fun moment. And I do, I mentioned it before, but I love the when they pull back and they have the shot that shows just the, the whole devastation of the city. So I think the scale and the air combat, the planes going against the ships and all that, it's just, it's fun. It's fun. And, and Jeff Goldblum is fun to watch. Will Smith, for what they ask him to do, does it really well in this movie. I think Will Smith and the Randy Quaid character, you know, almost push it a little bit beyond the level of just basic absurdity that's acceptable. But Well, if they don't, Harvey Firestein <laughs> does. Don't forget Judd Hirsch. <laughs> you easily could have cut 20 minutes from this movie and it probably would have been a better movie uh, and i did not watch the extended version but colin did but overall i actually had an unexpectedly fun time going back and watching this like i i, I thought i was just gonna we were gonna you know get together and i was just gonna shit all over it but no it's fun and it's well made and the scale in particular of those ships is what makes it so interesting and fascinating and at the time it felt new and now it doesn't because it's been done to death but i do think that for what they were going for in 1996 I think they did a great job with it. So I will give it a B and say, yes, it's worth watching Independence Day. I will also like to say that back in 96, not everyone really knew about computers. So <laughs> the whole virus thing was probably like a little more acceptable. People That's true. just They were ignorant. But wow, if I had a 12-year-old and showed this movie to him, I don't know what he would think. <laughs> Yeah, I was, I was actually thinking that this would have been a fun one to watch with Mia, just to get her take on it. I would have been curious. I, that actually would have been really interesting. Maybe I'll watch it with her. Or ask her to watch it, because I don't know that I want to sit through it again, honestly. But. Here, watch this. Give me notes in two hours. <laughs> I'll circle back in two hours and 26 minutes. Enjoy the Harvey Firestein moments. All right, well, I think we've reached the end. So, uh, again, happy birthday, America. Hope you enjoyed our uh, mostly complimentary conversation about Independence Day. So I think we all agreed that uh, there are a few minor problems when it comes to things like logic and technology. But if you put that aside and just want to enjoy some fun spectacle and some wackiness and know that you're going into a movie that certainly in no way is intended to be taken all that seriously. Like Colin said, take your brain out, sit down, watch it for a couple hours and you could do worse. It's, it's fun. We had a good time with it. But remember to put your brain back in at the end. Yeah, put your brain back in because you don't want your brain sitting on the couch for too long. <laughs> it might spoil. Maybe try spritzing it a, f a few times during the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You want to keep it moist. <laughs> keep your brain moist. 
Oh my. And with that, this is the Real DMC Podcast, Independence Day edition, signing off. Enjoy the fireworks. Goodbye, everybody. This will be our Independence Day. Elvis has left the building. David, I'm going to call my mother. (laughs) (laughs) But not my lawyer. Oh my. (laughs) I I need to look up the... uh, Uh, Do you have the the ISO 9000 procedure for this? Look up the proper procedure. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. One, two, two. <laughs> D M C. Fine, fine, Marcus. You go second. <laughs> One, two, <laughs> and Colin froze. <laughs> Perfect. You froze too, Colin. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just I, I was laughing too hard. Okay, let's do it. Just do it. One, two, three. All right. Let's all, let's all give ourselves a round of applause. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> World's right. greatest podcast producers. We're professionals.